Greetings, and welcome to 2001, A CCM Odyssey. This is your host, Chase Tremaine, and I'm back to bring you the second half of our conversation with guest and JesusFreakHideout.com staff writer, Timothy Estabrooks. The conversation started back in episode four, which contained our two regular segments, Is It Five Stars, and Made You Listen. During this portion, we look at the list of the 100 greatest Christian albums of all time that CCM Magazine published back in 2001. It's a fascinating list that's pretty easy to search for online, and our analysis takes us to the question of how we begin to define what Christian music even is. Today's episode is sponsored by Elevation Collective, the new gospel worship project from Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Elevation Collective's new album, Evidence, is out now featuring the talents of Israel Houghton, Tasha Cobbs Leonard, Ty Trebet, and more. The album contains new gospel renditions for eight of Elevation Worship's most enduringly popular songs, and you can check it out now wherever you buy or stream music. Stick around until the end of the episode to hear two song clips from the album. But now, Mark, Timothy, and I are going to jump right back in where we last left off. Yeah, so in... 2001, they listed these 100 albums as the greatest Christian albums of all time. And it, it has some very interesting inclusions, uh, such as artists that wouldn't traditionally be considered Christian. So I thought it'd be interesting to just discuss some overview thoughts about this list. If we think it's aged well, if we think there's any credibility to it, if there's um, anything strikingly missing or embarrassingly included. And maybe we could all share like a few albums that we think definitely deserve to be on this list since 2001. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, the first thing that I've got to lead off with is it would look, I think, immensely different. Yes, absolutely. The way that the genre of Christian contemporary music has gone, uh, so many of these albums, I think, would just have no audience for somebody whose audience was Christian contemporary music, like modern Christian contemporary music. People see these and they just see names. And I guess that can happen with pretty much any profession, with anything. But, you know, there are some albums that even today people would be able to recognize, even even maybe in name or in influence. I think... Uh, Larry Norman's Only Visiting This Planet. I think people would be able to recognize or at least hear Larry Norman's name and be like, oh yeah, he was that Christian rock guy that invented Christian music, which is kind of uh, meh. Which, by the way, that's that's the number two album on this list. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's pretty fair to say that there's probably more people my age who, with a similar experience of only knowing who Larry Norman is because DC Talk covered one of his songs. <laughs> I wish we'd all been ready. We'd all been yep. Yep. ready. That's right. yep. Intermission, the greatest <laughs> hits. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then the other really interesting thing, interesting thing about this list is just how many. <laughs> I mean, you say these names, you will not think of Christian music. Uh, but the most notable example, number six on this list, U two, the Joshua Tree. Their album October it's, shows up later too. <laughs> Yes, it does. None of their other albums, though, bizarre, Ingly. Um, I what were you going to say, Boy, Timothy? I, I guess Boy wasn't Christian enough. Yeah, I mean, Joshua Tree probably is, I guess, their most Christian album, just because of... I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Um, 
I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's not like they've ever really... I can't think of any other song they've had that even really addresses the subject. Um, right. Yeah, it seems like there, there's a certain amount of fighting for uh, the Christianness of potentially Christian artists here. Like, if there's a great album outside of the genre that can be included, they went ahead and included it. Um, Bob Dylan? Right. That's that's a notable one. Uh, there's a few others, I think, on here where it's like the the Christianness of the artist is debatable. <laughs> uh, which, it, it almost gets stupid in terms of the, uh, the genre distinctions. But it is also worth considering like whether these artists would actually call themselves Christian or not. Like, you know, if we tried including, you know, if we tried including Copeland on this list, they would say, ah, no thanks. Yeah. And it is interesting that, um, I think that probably the, the reasons why I think most people in Christian music probably wouldn't call, wouldn't have called you two a Christian band 15, 16 years ago are, like probably those reasons probably apply to most of the bands that we call Christian bands now. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the distinction is much blurrier now, you know, cause it, right. You know, the impression of you two is that they are a secular band with, you know, at least Bono has, you know, would claim to be a Christian, but you know, he's clearly like, a fairly liberal Christian, but then like that's true of like so many of the bands that we cover now, right? Like so, if if you ever release something on Tooth and Nail or Solid State, like the Christian music industry will follow you around like a hound, regardless <laughs> right. of what your theology ever was. There are some bands who are completely not Christian who are currently on Solid State, um, but we cover them just because of the record label, right? And and in some ways, that's the only thing you can do because it you know you can't spend hours like you know trying to decipher what a band's theology is or like harassing them and be like, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Like you know before yeah. you decide whether or not you're going to cover them. So in yeah. some ways, you kind of almost have to just take it as like a market approach. Like if this has been marketed to the Christian market, then let's exactly. Cover it. There are definitely several artists on here that I have not even heard of, um, which is interesting. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, I guess just the, I don't know, my by habit, my experience with Christian music is essentially listening to the music that I grew up with, you know, that was released during my time period. Um, and then when I listen to classic music, uh, it's mostly secular stuff. So I'm not really familiar with a lot of the classic Christian music with a few notable exceptions. I definitely um, have listened to Keith Green a lot. Um, I have listened to Petra a lot and Twyla Paris, mostly because those were like my brother's, th- my oldest brother's three favorite artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't really have a lot of experience with most of these. Um also, I just noticed looking through it, there is a Christmas album on this list, which I feel like is definitely a cop out. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait, is it Amy Grant's Christmas went, album? Or it is. that album went triple platinum, so it's kind of obligated to be included. Let's be honest. So many of these artists 
haven't put out much since this list was made that would be worth putting on. And then plus you've got artists that have passed away since this list was put together or artists like DC Talk that haven't put out anything since this list was put together. Um, you know, artists like uh, Take Six that are still putting out stuff, but nothing as notable as their early music. Artists like Newsboys that, like, I would argue that Go could go on this list, but nothing else. Um, is oh, there? No, there's, a, there's at least so even even when the list was made in 2001, how could it not have Take Me to Your Leader on it? Right. So that that's another thing that gets me about this list. I'm I'm confused about some of the choices that they m- made and didn't make back then. You know, because we right. could talk for a while about you know the past 16 years of music um and what could potentially go on this list now um but some of the choices they made for specific artists is is a little crazy like that like there's only the one uh the only the one newsboys album going public uh which is a great album but right yeah but guys Um, it had shine on it no i mean going public is a great album it has i I mean i think i think elegy is what probably one of their best songs i ever did and for some reason, when they have go something in the title, <laughs> it, it turns out to be one of the best news of those albums. Um, but like, I was looking through what they included for Michael W. Smith, and I think it's great they included Change Your World. I think it's hilarious uh, that they included the big picture. Um, I think it's crazy that they included the Michael W. Smith project. I, I don't hey. see... What's we special gave that, about that album five stars? I know, and it's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. We can argue <laughs> about that on another episode. Um, but like you know, they were only three years off of the best album of his career, "Live the Life," and that's not on here. I don't know. It's just it's a it's a lot of weird choices, and you know, to you almost wonder like how they even ordered these when you start thinking about a list of one hundred albums. It's like where in the world, um. Do you make these distinctions like just looking at Amy Grant, you know, to the people that made these lists, the difference in quality of those albums is worth putting lead me on at number one and age to age down at 92. Right. How, how, (laughs) how exactly are you qualifying that two very popular, similar era Amy Grant albums that one of them is 90 albums better than the other. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the especially bizarre thing about that is Age to Age was, I mean, you know, it came out in 1982. Uh, it was the first ever Christian album to ever go platinum. And I think it was, they, they did have a billboard chart for Christian albums at the time. I think it was fairly new. But Amy Grant's Age to Age, I think, has like, I don't know, over 100 or 110 weeks uh, topping the Christian albums chart every year. That's insane. I know. And it it goes every year from 1982 all the way up into 1985. A three-year-old album was still topping the charts. Not consecutively, of course. She was the Adele of her day. (laughs) (laughs) and uh, the audience for christian music was a lot smaller in those days but they they just they just kept on buying it i bought four copies (laughs) 
<laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> I, for, for the record, to kind of answer one of your questions earlier, I think um, influence and I think like uh, importance or prestige is definitely one of the things that they considered when they made this list. I mean, of course, you've got to put Larry Norman near the top of the list, okay? You know, that just makes sense. And for what it's worth, for what it's worth, Beyond Belief by Petra should be way higher. <laughs> Fair enough, so, yeah. That is a I, great album. The other thing I want, kind of want to mention, now I've mentioned before, you know, the amount of diversity in this album, in, in this list. Um, and there is a ton of diversity. You know, there are gospel singers that, you know, are basically defined out of the genre of Christian contemporary music that you know, make this list. I think, you know, by this time, people have defined Kirk Franklin out of contemporary Christian music. I mean, yeah, he's a Christian artist. Yeah, he makes gospel music. But, you know, you're never going to hear Kirk Kirk Franklin on, you know, CCM radio nowadays or music like his. Um, And I mean, Christian radio nowadays is too white. Yeah, I mean... That's another but, I mean, topic for well, sure. But. Yeah, that is a completely different topic. And I and I think I know where you're going, but it is interesting to point out how like Christian music became so widespread that it allowed for segregation. <laughs> and so now you have stations that are just completely like mainline, one lane, uh, you know, easy Christian pop. Whereas you have completely different radio stations and completely different audiences for the gospel genre, which of course is still alive and well, and which Kirk Franklin is one of the main figureheads of. He's well represented on this list. And like even recently, some of his songs get onto the Hot 100. Like he has enough power, enough airplay for that. Um, but what I, th- what I think you were getting at. Can yeah, I mean, he was me. on a Chance the Rapper song. I mean, <laughs> right? <come on>. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I think he helped out with a Kanye West song too. Yeah, um, right. But, uh, um, well, what, I mean, what I was. Uh, is the lack of hip hop and metal on this list? Is that where you're going? Yeah, because, I mean, hip-hop, I guess I can understand. Yeah, there was a, such a thing as Christian hip-hop back in the 19, uh, 1990s, you know, maybe the late 80s. Um, I, my, I may be wrong, but scanning this list, I think the only albums that people would necessarily qualify as hip-hop are uh, DC Talks, um, Free At Last. And Jesus Freak. <laughs> Ooh, Jesus Freak isn't hip hop. Yeah, it, and it has the other on one. It. It, oh, you, so well, you're right. It does. In that, hey, 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 let me finish. Let me finish. I don't like letting <laughs> Ka- Kanye West. You monologue uh, for too le- long, uh, and you guys don't. We, no, no. you were moderating no, no. it. <laughs> well, I don't like to interrupt you guys. Um, DC talks free at last, and then um. Carmen, 1996, a really, <laughs> really obscure album that people have basically forgotten about is an album called Erase from the Goatee Brothers, which also had Toby Mac. So quite literally, the only hip hop albums on this list uh, heavily feature uh, a white pop star rapper cross. So... And then there, I, I don't think there is any metal. Yeah, you could um, say that this list isn't diverse city. <laughs> you are correct. It would not be. Yeah, I think the I think the lack of metal is probably more significant, just because I don't know if there was really any good Christian hip hop before two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can't think of anybody other than Toby Mac who is even like attempting to rap. 
in Christian music. Like I'm sure there was, but uh, oh, whoa, whoa, hey, 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 Tunnel Rats self-titled well, came okay. out in Tun- yeah, but like the year two thousand. No, I mean, Tunnel Rats was very underground. Like those, and they were they always kind of had a fairly tenuous relationship with the Christian scene, anyway. Um, Specifically with the cross movement. Yeah, grits. Uh, no, definitely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there are. I mean, you, there's a strong case to be made for for several um, metal albums. I mean, like, how could you not include Reborn by Living Sacrifice? I mean, that's like mm-hmm. that's still one of the best Christian metal albums ever made. Um, Caveat: They do have Striper for well, yeah. whatever that's worth. Yeah, um, hair metal, sure, um, but. And it, there would be a certain, um, I guess, comedic value if in between, like, you know, Russ Taff and Amy Grant, they had, you know, mortification. But not surprising that it's not there, I suppose. Right. Vengeance Rising. Yeah, I mean, it, throw Scrolls of the Megaloth in there. That's like a great album. I mean, it's kind of hard to listen to now, but. But it is fascinating which genres have seen. Uh acceptance in hindsight since this list was made especially just because like the you know scenes build up around them and you have now very legitimate christian hip-hop scenes and very legitimate christian metal scenes that uh i think brought historical importance to those albums where that probably wasn't felt back then by the makers or writers of ccm magazine um and then you could get into arguments like are we talking about the best 100 ccm albums of all time and then right, it just which is essentially what confusing. that is essentially, I mean, essentially right. what the list is but with like a little bit of hip-hop there and a little bit of metal there like if, if we were to rewrite this list for today you know of course there's going to be talk of putting you know lecrae and propaganda on there so if if, if you're going to leave off hip hip-hop then at that point you would have to get rid of dc talks free at last just to be consistent um you know if you wanted to leave off um, some of the great Christian metal bands and albums of recent years, then like to be consistent, you sh- you'd have to get rid of that striper one too. Um, so it, I think it just it get it would almost get political if it's not just a free. If you're affiliated with Christian music at all, then it, you know it's, right. You know, well, and I think um, I mean that raises another interesting point where. It, if if you if you were to redo the list today and make it just be the hundred best ECM album, like how different would it actually be? Like how much good CCM has come out in the last sixteen years? Like there would probably be some Newsboys albums and some. Drugs Thank you for making albums. that point because and I <laughs> yeah like I'd I mean, forgotten. <laughs> I, I had that exact same train of thought earlier. Like if we were gonna stick right down that. Um, radio accepted ccm genre there isn't much to add like like we could consider some phil wickham and shane shane and maybe it would make it um like i think you know with all these artists that aren't making it music anymore um there's definitely been some notable late career releases from stephen curtis chapman and michael w smith um that we could Again, like again, consider for list. I don't think Amy Grant has made anything since then that could go on here. The uh, so I, I mean I, I th- I'm right there with you, Timothy. Yes, we agree on something again. This is incredible. 
Um, is there even is there any audio adrenaline on this list? <gasps> no. Oh no, wow. There is not. Because that's Man, interesting. This... Oh no no no! They have. Never mind. That's a different list. Their song "Big House" made the top hundred songs well, list, which we're not talking but... about. Fascinating. So, two questions then: If this list were made today, well, we kind of already uh, addressed both of these questions, but um, if this list were made today, for sure, I mean, using apparently what these qualifications are, and of course the fluid rules, quote unquote, of the genre, what albums would make it? And then, uh, what albums would be kicked off either because, you know, they got replaced or because we just wouldn't define them as Christian music anymore? I think you 2 would get kicked off um, just because there's enough people who would say that they're not a, uh, a Christian band. I think probably everything else would, would qualify. I think Bob Dylan would get kicked off. Maybe I think. I mean, it came from it came from his Christian period, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, know. it was marketed at Christians towards a Christian audience. It was specifically a gospel album, so I mean, but again, I mean, it's, it's Bob Dylan, you know. What does Bob Dylan do? I mean, people looking at this today, they would be like, "What is Bob Dylan doing on a list of the hundred greatest?" Yeah, I mean, having Christian him and, and having you two kind of feels like our list is valid because it has bands you've heard of, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, other than that, I don't know if I could really specifically kick anything off just because a lot of the stuff I haven't, you know, I'm not super familiar with. Yeah, there's so um, many albums that I haven't I heard. I mean, I highly doubt that Sixpence, None the Richer's self titled album is the 19th best CCM album of all time, if it even qualifies in the first place. But <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I think I the genre is still holding on hope for them. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, there's, again, like the, uh, if we're just looking at a few specific artists, like, um, I, I know it's, it's so easy to go to Michael W. Smith and Steve Kerr Chapman because they were like my artists, you know, when I was a kid. Um, so, and I would, for, if we're just talking 80s, 90s, I would choose completely different albums. But those are also artists where I would make arguments for newer albums like Smith's uh, Stand or Wonder or Chapman's Beautiful Rise and Glorious Unfolding, I would argue uh, to get those on the list. Um, and I think we have newer artists like uh, you know Gr- Sarah Groves, Andrew Peterson, who would need some representation. Um, I'd throw Bebo Norman Asad. in there. Bebo Norman? Yeah, I'd throw Bebo Norman in there. Yeah. Oh, you say uh, Audrey Assad? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm an unashamed fanboy, though. What uh, which Assad album would you choose? Um, oh, uh, probably "Fortunate Fall." Um, okay, I think I, it's her most artistically sound album, but I do really appreciate "Heart" as well. Yeah, "Heart," "Heart" would be the choice for me. I think I would probably choose. Well, are we going with my personal preference, or are we going with what I think would make it? Because I, I think my personal preference, preference. Yeah, my yeah, personal I, preference. Um, my favorite and her most complete album for me is definitely Inheritance uh, so far. Um, well, she's I mean, obviously Inheritance got along. is great, but it's a hit album. So. I know it is a yeah. hit. Well, what? <laughs> and that disqualifies it? 
Hymns are the oldest form of Christian music. Well, kind of the oldest form. I mean, of you're, I mean, if there can be if there can be a Christmas album on there, then there can be a hymns album. I suppose. True, but <laughs> um, I I do I do want to point out um, before we officially stop talking about the list, just one of my favorite um, historical phenomena related to lists of great songs. Yeah, please. several years ago. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine released a list of like the hundred greatest songs of all time. Um, this was actually probably like fifteen years ago now, and so this is Rolling Stone magazine. Keep that in mind. Number one was "Like a Rolling Stone" by Bob Dylan, which is a great yeah. song, and number two was "Satisfaction" by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and that was Rolling Stone magazine's top two songs ever. And They're I just thought very that seemed a little self-serving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what That's do you great. know? Do you have any recommendations this week? I would definitely recommend um, podcast-wise. I would definitely recommend um, the episode of Labeled, which is the only episode of Labeled that I've listened to, um, where they are talking to Shane Blay of O Sleeper. He has a lot of interesting insight, uh, just talking about his dynamic in the band as being somebody who was at least at some point a Christian, but by the time he was in the band was definitely not. Um, but his relationship with Micah Kennard, the main lyricist and the harsh vocalist, um, and just sort of how they wrote songs to each other about belief and unbelief. Um, he also has some interesting thoughts about the whole uh, as a lay dying scenario, because of course he sort of picked up the pieces of as a lay dying and started woven war with them. Right. Um, so he's very familiar with the, the pain that that whole situation caused for everybody else in the band. Um, he makes a lot of good points about things that I think probably we as Christians are kind of blind to, um, especially regarding like how quickly we are willing to sort of dismiss uh, somebody's actions if they claim to be repentant for them. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was so that was interesting. And then another podcast I recently listened to that was probably interesting as well. Um, there's a podcast that's been going on for a while that I wasn't familiar with called Lead Singer Syndrome, and it's uh, hosted by the guy who's the lead singer of the band Silverstein or Silverstein. I don't remember exactly. Which yeah, one it is. uh, um, is that another Shane? Is what? Isn't that Shane something? Uh, maybe I don't really remember. <laughs> but he recently had Dustin Kinsru on from Thrice. Woo! Um, and it was interesting, but also kind of sad. Um, because he talks a little bit about his faith, and um, you can definitely tell that he's sort of moved in a in a little more liberal direction, probably since the implosion of Mars Hill yeah. Church. Um. I think there's, you know, probably some uh, side effects of that whole fiasco playing out in his own life. Um, yeah, but definitely worth listening to to kind of understand where he's coming from now. Um, that stuff. And I think you can sort of pick up on some of that in "To Be Everywhere Is to Be Nowhere." Yeah. Um, yeah. That stuff kills me so much because, I mean, we could talk about idolatry, but he 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 really was an important figure to me, and to have someone move from like this scene of rock music that I love so much into worship music and 
You know, Dustin Kenzer mm-hmm. released one of my favorite worship albums of all time. And, you know, from everything I could see, he and I were in the same place uh, theologically. And that, you know, obviously um, went into his songs as well. Um, and, you know, it's had this musician that I love and look up to releasing great songs that I could sing along to and completely just agree with and like the, like really praise God for just the theology um, and the truth about God that, uh, you know, Dustin and I were both seeing in scripture and then him just go through such traumatic events that it, it has like brought this like darkness into his life that seems evident from interviews and from, you know, the most recent thrice album and his ways he's kind of backed away from uh, yeah. Christian culture yeah. and especially just like the, the whole group of like reformed Christianity. He's made a huge effort uh, to back away from and just not involve himself with anymore. And honestly, I think right. that's a little bit on, on the fault of uh, Christians. I think he met too many like stubborn uh, and just jerk people in that sure. uh in that group of people that it really uh pushed him away and made him not want to come back uh which is a great reminder uh to me to not <laughs> be one of those kind of people right yeah i mean and it raises an interesting question for me cuz i i definitely most of the the lyricists and the artists that i feel like i really relate to from a spiritual perspective relate to their music all tend to be sort of have all kind of moved in that direction to a certain extent. Um, whereas I haven't really. Um, and so I, and yeah. it makes me wonder why I, you know, and I think part of why I feel a connection with these people is because they're more willing to sort of express their own doubts and struggles. Um, and so I relate to that, but then it's always sort of a little discouraging to see, you know, with him, because I would definitely really looked up to him and like Reese Roper is another one. Um, even like I think Audrey Assad is sort of moving in that direction, but right. probably not to the same extent. Um, and those are all like some of my favorite artists. Um, so it just makes them all like, you know, a little more of a challenging listen. Um, but there's definitely still things to be learned from them that I appreciate. Well, you mentioned like just that concept of the lead singer syndrome. I think it had, I think there really are um, like poor effects on people's spiritual lives when they're forced to meet so many people so often and have so many shallow, temporary relationships mm-hmm. with people of different worldviews and different opinions. Um, I think it, it's much easier to disagree with people when you live next door to them and get other ways to know them and you know to love them and serve them and whatever else um in in day-to-day life disagreeing is quite easy but if you're meeting you know a hundred people on on a night where you might never meet them again and it's people of all these different religions and worldviews um it it becomes increasingly difficult i think for a lot of these people to think like why should i be convinced that my way is correct um Right. You know, so many mm-hmm. of these like young Christian bands who might have been like raised in a Christian private school or whatever else, uh, go out on tour and start to, you know, wrestle with their faith and 
lose their firm foundation or what they thought was a firm foundation because they're seeing all these different cultures and religions and different types of people when they're missing so much else that's happening because you know if if statistics that i've heard are correct there's yeah there's 300,000 uh christian churches in america but there's 37 million christian churches worldwide um christianity is Mm-hmm. growing much more rapidly in Africa and Asia than it is in America. And so right. Christianity is a, is proving its its power and its truth worldwide. But if you're only looking at the teenagers who listen to rock music in any given society, then you're going to get a skewed idea of that. But I do want to quickly hop on to your labeled recommendation. Um, is there's I haven't kept up with every episode of this season and you know the first season of the show just wrapped up but speaking of copeland uh aaron marsh was just on the label podcast it was a very good episode about beneath medicine tree um and he does confirm something we should all be excited for that they're working on lp number six um and then probably my favorite episode of label that i've heard so far is the episode with chad johnson the famous a and R guy for Tooth and Nail, uh, who discovered um, like Under Oath, As Cities Burn, Me Without You, Beloved. I think like May and Jonesetta. The list seriously goes on and on and on of him being the uh, A and R guy for just the biggest bands in Tooth and Nail's history. Um, and he his, his story is really fascinating. So along with his episode of Labeled, he also just released a book titled One Thousand Risks. Um, I'm working my way through that right now and loving what I'm reading so far. So that would be my other recommendation. Anything from you, Mark? Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, it is the film Ragamuffin, which I'm sure both of you guys are familiar with since I believe both of you guys are Rich Mullins fans. Yeah, I've, I've seen Ragamuffin. I liked it. What I really love about Rich Mullins and, you know, so many other artists, you know, nowadays, you know, they don't really shy away from you know, sharing their struggles, um, not necessarily as much in his songs for Rich Mullins, but more kind of in the talks in between his songs uh, when he was live. Um, and, you know, it goes really in depth into, you know, his relationship with his dad. You know, the people making this film were very, very close to Rich Mullins. A lot of the actors in the film are actually people that Rich Mullins knew in real life. Definitely really recommend it. It does have flaws. It's really long. Um, you know, once we got past like the hour and 40 minute mark, my family started being like, you know, how much longer is there in this? You know, how much longer? <laughs> and the hour is, the film is two hours and 17 minutes long. Oh, so wow. I think they could have cut a little bit more. I, anyway. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard, I've heard from some people that it can be difficult to fit 40 years of life into two hours of film? Yeah, you know, I've heard that from some people too. Yeah. Um, and for a while, I thought it was just a rumor. But And if you really want to dig into the man that was Rich Mullins, just finding his concerts on YouTube is fascinating. Oh, it's like, yeah. You know, Mark, like you said, uh, one of the most interesting things that he does is his banter in between songs at concerts. Getting to see that, um, like the real thing on YouTube is, is quite remarkable so mm-hmm. well cool uh 
Any uh any closing words, Timothy? <laughs> um I've spoken too much already, and my name is not Timothy. I acknowledge that. <laughs> closing words, uh Ixora forever. <laughs> Hashtag Ixora forever. Or, or should I say five ever? Ha- Hashtag LP6. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. Yeah, it was fun. We'll have you on again sometime in the future. And until the uh till the next episode. This has been the Jesus Freak Hideout hey. Podcast, and it is pronounced Dibiase. Thank you for listening to the JFH Podcast, which is hosted by Mark Rice and me, Chase Tremaine. Production editing and music is also by me. The podcast is executive produced by John DiBiase and Christopher Smith. If you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, please send an email to Christopher at JesusFreakHideout.com. We'd also love to hear your feedback about the episode or to hear topics you'd like us to discuss. So feel free to tweet at us, comment on Facebook, or post on our website. You can also recommend our show using Overcast or rate our show on iTunes. Thanks again to Elevation Collective for sponsoring this week's episode. The new album, Evidence, is out now, and here are two song clips from the album. First up, Resurrecting, featuring The Walls Group, followed by Oh Come to the Altar, featuring Chris Brown and Israel Houghton.